What's up, everybody? It's Lee. You guys might know me as Intuition, and uh, you're tuned into Kind of Neat. Thank you guys for tuning in again. I appreciate it. Every time you guys listen, I appreciate it. Follow me on Twitter, at It's Intuition. Follow my man behind the boards, Ben Shim, making the shit sound buttery, at I Am Database. And you can follow us as a unit, at That's Kind of Neat. Got a new Facebook page. Go to the Facebook page. Like that shit. Facebook.com slash Kind of Neat. I'm going to try to start posting more pictures of the people that come in and stuff like that. Maybe some behind-the-scenes shit. I don't know. But, yeah, go follow us on there. You know, Facebook. Who knows if it'll ever even pop up in your timeline. Uh, You can see us on YouTube, youtube.com slash That's Kind of Neat, where we're going to have my man Saul, who came in today, perform a song called Old Hymn. And, of course, you can find everything wrapped up in a pretty package on kindaneat.net. Make sure to subscribe to us on iTunes. Make sure to subscribe to us on Stitcher if you don't use iTunes. That shit helps. Leave five-star ratings and a comment. Tell us who you want to see. Tell me how relaxing my voice is and how it puts you to sleep at night. I'm down. But yeah, you know, I like to get on these things and give some advice at the beginning. Or not not even necessarily advice. Basically, I ask you guys to ask me questions so that I can answer. And it kind of gives a better view into my worldview or whatever. And so today... A young man named Wade sent me a question that says, how do you find a balance between being responsible and finding time to let loose? And while that's a short question, I think there's a lot that uh, can be said about that. So thanks, Wade, for the question. And, uh, you know, finding time to be responsible and let loose. I think that I don't let loose enough. As I get older, I had this conversation with my buddy Dom, who I work with a lot. Both of us are kind of on some non-drinking shit right now. And I, I haven't drank in about two months. And it's not really because I'm, I don't go to like, I'm not in the program. I'm not like sober technically. I just, well, I am sober technically, but I'm not like quote unquote sober. It's just that like, as I get older, for some reason with the whole responsibility thing, like I get anxiety when I drink now, like when I drink or when I, when I do drink, I tend to get like, I I tend to go pretty hard. I am somebody who has a hard time just sitting down and enjoying one beer. It's like, if I have a beer, I'll end up having three or four. And if I have three or four, I'll end up having some more i'll get fucked up particularly to the when when i go out with the mindset of like man i'm gonna go out and drink tonight and i'm gonna get drunk if i go out with that mindset like i'm definitely getting drunk and i'm that type of person where the next morning i feel like i have to like call people and apologize because i feel like i'm kind of an asshole when i'm drunk i'm a jolly asshole i don't like start fights or nothing like that but you know i fucking maybe joke too hard or like flirt too hard or whatever i just feel like i'm i'm not the ideal me when I'm drinking. And maybe this is, that's not what the question was about. But as far as letting loose, I feel like that's an American staple to let loose by having a few drinks. And right now, I feel like I've not been letting loose, like I said, because I've been sober. Uh, and, uh, you know, I don't really smoke weed that often. I was a big pothead when I was younger. Everybody says that. And, I, and you know, I'm sure everybody has their stories. And But there was a many years where I was high all the time. And I quit that. And I, you know, do it once every in a blue moon, but only when I have nothing else to do. So I think that I spend most of my time trying to be too responsible. But the thing is, I don't really have a traditional job. Like for this month, for example, like uh, I didn't work for the first three weeks of the month. 
I was just kind of like trying to find work by sending a lot of emails out and setting up various things. And then all of a sudden the last week of this month got fucking crazy. And, uh, it ended up being, you know, like in Seattle on Monday, shooting on Tuesday, flying back at six in the morning on Wednesday to shoot in LA, having the day kind of off on Thursday, but needing to pay bills and run errands. And then Friday yesterday, I had to, you know, shoot an event and then run downtown to bartend and then come home, fall asleep at four in the morning, wake up at nine to come do this podcast. And then I'm going to go home and do laundry. And then I have a show tonight, which if you're listening and you came to the show, thank you for coming. I appreciate it. It's sold out online and I, and I love you guys for that. But my point is, is like, it was a really busy week and I haven't let loose at all. And I feel like I'm not going to get to let loose until tomorrow. But when you don't have a traditional job, you're kind of always letting loose. And particularly when you have, when you enjoy what you do, it's always kind of letting loose. Even when I'm on photo shoots working, I'm having a good time and I work with one of my best friends. And so it's like, I'm getting to let loose. With that being said, finding a balance between the two for me is kind of easy because I'm kind of like OCD control freak, like always kind of responsible. So like the responsibility side is never really an issue for me. Uh, I feel like some people go the opposite direction where they get irresponsible because they're letting loose too often. And I can't really relate to that too much. And I don't know what the proper fix is for that. But I would say like if you're a normal fucking person, whatever normal is, you have a nine to five. I feel like it's acceptable to like be responsible during the week and fucking go hard on the weekend so long as you can come back on Monday and do your job. Now, where it becomes an issue is if you're spending too much money on your partying, you know, going to spend a fucking couple G's in Vegas on a weekend or something. If you don't have that, like, I don't see the point in that shit. I'm kind of a workaholic and I just always want to be working and I feel irresponsible when I'm not being working. So as far as my balance goes, I definitely tend to just, I feel like shit when I'm not working. And even when I'm going out, like I go to a lot of shows, like I go out a lot, you know what I mean? But I always, like I said, I'm not out there partying or drinking. I'm out there kind of trying to see what's what at shows and who's tight and who I like so that I can try to like make this thing go a little harder or, you know, just stay up on what's cool and what's relevant and what I like. And, you know, it keeps me young. I feel like going out keeps me young. And so I let loose, my letting loose is still kind of work. And, uh, I'm happy with that and I'm down with it. I didn't answer your fucking question at all, Wade. My bad. <laughs> the, the truth of the matter is it's going to be different for everybody. That's how I do it. I just pretend that I'm always working regardless of what I'm doing. So even if I'm having fun, I work. Truth be told, as I get older, I find it harder and harder to actually have fun. Like I'm happy a lot of the times. Like happiness comes out and happiness is fleeting moments is my theory about that. Like I, I don't trust anyone who's happy all the time. I feel like there are moments and, and occurrences that make you happy. But as far as fun, I've talked about it on my song before. Like it's, it's hard for me to have fun. And so maybe I don't let loose enough. But, you know, I love being on stage. I love rapping. I love writing. I love recording. And, and even though some people would look at that shit as work, I look at that as letting loose. And uh, so, you know, that's how I do it. Uh, with that being said, we had my man Saul come in. Saul is a dude that I've known for a while. The way that I found out about him actually was that uh, I, I released this song called Lonely on a record called Girls Like Me. And it has this sample, do-do-do, be-do-do-do. You guys might know it. And um, 
the first way that I heard about Saul was he put out this video called, I believe it's called this shit really dope video, dope song. And it uses the same sample. And, um, people started emailing me the day that it came out like, Oh man, this kid fucking using the same sample or he's using your beat. And I'm like, it's not using my beat. It's just a fucking sample. It's not my, I don't own that sample. I didn't clear it obviously. And, uh, Point being is that we have similar tastes in samples and beats, and I listened to him, and I was like, oh, that shit's tight, and there's something to it. You know, his fucking YouTube videos crack hard, and um, then I met him when he was on tour with Greaves, and we played a show together, and he's just a mad cool dude, man, young guy who has been working hard at this music shit for a really long time, and uh, his story's pretty inspiring, and, and just shows you that, like, nothing comes overnight, and if you think it is, there's really years and years of work in the background going on. Has a really awesome story about this year-long trip that he took, traveling all over the world to, uh, like, almost a dozen countries, and so, yeah, I think you guys will enjoy this podcast, and uh, he's on the road right now, so if you're listening, go to SaulSays.com and check out his tour dates and go catch him on the road because he's a really good performer. Uh, and without further ado, let's get right into the podcast with Saul. Thank you guys for tuning in. You guys got any Mexican food in Seattle or what? That's any good? Yeah, there's actually there's a large a pretty large amount of Mexican folk and good Mexican food. There's a lot of there's some good taco trucks, but nice. I mean it's nothing compared to some some yeah, California. Yeah. LA, San Diego. You gotta get burritos in San Diego, that's the spot. So what's up, man? What you been up to? Right now I'm just playing a lot of shows and connecting with my fans. Yeah. Um yeah, it's crazy. My first headlining tour, we're in the middle of it right now. Mm-hmm. And it's extraordinary. Every night playing shows for people some of them who have been listening to my music for years and it's their first chance to see me live and to kind of take our relationship to the next level i feel like i'm really establishing a strong connection with it's my, like it's with like my fan base it's right like now. you're getting to take the rubber off with your fans <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's it's getting intimate you yeah know what I'm that's tight man yeah you're from seattle yep born and raised born and raised in seattle washington yeah what uh how'd the folks end up in seattle Good question. My dad is from Brooklyn, New York. He's a Jewish dude who, um, you know, came up. He's older cat, came up in, you know, the 40s and 50s, ended up moving out to Seattle to work at Boeing uh, fresh out of college and quit on his first day. Went quit back. on his first day? Yeah, he didn't like having, you know, th- three, 4,000 coworkers and yeah. just didn't like the environment. And then uh, went back to school. Went, what, what is he like? A, some kind of engineer or something? Like that? He was at the time. Yeah. And then he went back to school at the at the University of Washington. Mm-hmm. And he met my mom, who, on the flip side, had just came to the United States from Haiti via Puerto Rico. Mm-hmm. She had went to college out there, and was doing her master's degree in Seattle. And you know they they met in college. Mm-hmm. Are they the same age, or was dad pimping and get, grabbing a little younger chick? <laughs> Five year difference. Oh, that's not bad. Then. Yeah, yeah, that's normal. But he was pimping. He was a crazy white dude, like long ass hair and this big beard. And my my mom was fresh from Haiti and was like, man, this guy's exotic. Who's this white guy? Yeah, yeah. You know, and and yeah, anyone or over. Did your mom have any other family over here? She has a sister that moved over um, a few years after she did, and. My aunt still lives in Seattle, actually. Nice. Yeah. And uh, do you go back to Brooklyn to visit dad's family at all? Dad's family's pretty spread out now. Uh. There's there's family in Brooklyn, but like a lot of them are in Jersey City now, or um, you know different parts of the East Coast. Yeah. Uh, some of them are actually here in California. Nice. You have you ever been back over to Haiti? Yeah. So I went to Haiti recently, about six months ago. Oh yeah, for the first time. You were traveling for a bunch. 
Yeah, for a bunch. This whole last year, I was traveling, actually. Well, I want to get into that later. I want to just talk more about childhood at this point. Okay. And then take it somewhat linearly. So, mom and dad, are you the first kid? Second. Second. Who You got older brother, older sister? One older brother, and that's it. Just the two of us. What does he do? He's a graphic designer, and, and he's in New York. He's in Brooklyn. Tight. Does he help you out with, like, your records and shit? To be honest, it's better for us to just be brothers. Yeah. You know, we... No we, business. Yeah, we've tried the, the working relationship, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's... It's tough, like, hiring your older brother yeah. to do things. Yeah, You know, and he's really on his own level, like, doing amazing work. So, Dope. you know, we just have a huge amount of respect for each other's work. How much older is he? Uh, six years. Six years? Did you guys get along? Not really, like, growing up. Yeah. No, we were the type of brothers where he would he was always punking me. Or, yeah. You know. I, uh, I, uh, <laughs> I have a younger brother that's three years younger than me, and, like, we did not fucking get along at all as children. And then once I moved out, we're, right. like, we're best friends. Right. We just work better when we're in different states. Exactly. You know, like, I can get on the phone with him, have a good, like, two-hour conversation, but if we sit down for two hours with each other, it's like, yeah, it's, some shit might crack off, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, we, growing up, there was just it was just you know big, big brother little brother you know yeah. complex and uh, then he went to college in San Francisco and and the distance helped us and you know we we became a lot closer after that that's dope yeah what was Seattle like growing up man it was super cool uh, it's it's like living in a really really big neighborhood you know um, now having lived in Seattle for twenty four years it's the type of place where I can just walk around. And run into somebody that I love mm-hmm. that I maybe haven't seen in 20 years, you know, but it's like that. I could run into my preschool teacher. Mm. I could, you know, I still kick it with homies that I've, I've been going to school with since I was five years old. You know, it's it's home. Like there's there's no place that will ever replace what Seattle is for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What were you like as a kid? Like a uh, good student? Yeah, I've always been a good student. I was super uh, misbehaving uh, at first. Like, I I had really bad ADHD, mm. um, and it like got, like medicated. Yes, I, yeah. I, I, they started medicating me when I was in fifth grade. Oh wow! Uh, before that, man, like I was to be honest, like as a student, I've always been an artist. So I, like I really thrived in things create like creatively, but when it came to just the normal academic um, kind of path, I was really behind um, for a while. Like. Reading and writing, I was a few years behind. Like, so, what was your first like kind of creative endeavors? Were you just really into drawing and yeah. stuff as a kid? Yeah, man. Like since since like since the beginning, like preschool. What, like, what would you draw? Do you remember? Like uh, I, I used would, to, I used to draw The Simpsons a lot when I was. A kid. I would draw like these. I started out drawing kind of like it was weird. It, it was kind of a little bit darker, like like these really buff guys that had like axes and shit, you know? Like, yeah. And then, and then I like, as I got older, it was like, I started like drawing like dragons and like different types of like, Oh, so like, you're like a Dungeons and Dragons dude. N- yes. <laughs> I mean, no, not really. Yeah. I mean, like the, the buff dudes were like modern age buff dudes. Okay. Like, like kind of on steroids and shit. I used and to then, draw a lot of buff, like Ninja Turtles though. Like yeah. I got good at drawing muscles figures because of the Ninja Turtles. I was about that. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, I, I just kind of like it, drawing and painting was like a way for my, from from my mind just to open up. Yeah. And like, so there's like really no rules. And, um, I would never, I mean, I would just like on weekends, I would, sp- I would sit there for hours, literally eight, nine hours. Like my stamina, like was just amazing. I would all I, I could draw all day long. I'd do it all weekend long, 
you know, when my friends were playing outside or something, it was just, I loved, I loved to draw and paint. And then it ended up kind of like at a certain point, it, trans- it transitioned over to music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Were you into like any physical activities? Yeah. You I got mean, a soccer jersey on. Were you into soccer? Yeah. I, I love soccer. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, like I, w- I wasn't drawing and painting the whole time, you yeah. know, like we like I grew up in a neighborhood where like me and the the neighbors would always play baseball kind of like Sandlot style yeah and uh, now I grew up playing soccer and uh, joined a baseball team like pretty late sucked at baseball I I honestly not very good at sports yeah you know? <laughs> but I love sports you know for sure um so yeah I, I grew up I grew up doing all that I mean I was I was a pretty pretty normal kid. Yeah, video games, pop culture stuff, TV, were you into any of that? Uh, yeah, I was really into video games. I remember my parents didn't really want me playing video games, so I, I had somehow got my hands on this really small, really small, like, tube TV, and and I had it, like, there was this space between the foot of my bed and the wall yeah. that I would hide the TV, like, kind of on the ground and cover it with blankets, and then at night I'd take my TV out and put it on the dresser and plug my PlayStation in and play you know, yeah. Grand Theft Auto One, nice. <laughs> the, the overhead one. Yeah, that's tight. What was it like? Uh, I mean, did you guys, did your family ever catch any kind of like weird vibes from being like of mixed heritage or whatever? Was that a thing back then? Like, yeah, um, especially for my parents when they were first dating. Yeah, like in Seattle during the seventies. Seventies, yeah. Right. Like especially, I would say. I mean, it's interesting. Like I think more overtly at that time from the African American folks in seattle my mom caught some like some flack like you know like publicly and verbally and just kind of white people i think are a little more passive about it yeah and, but that's because the the biggest fear of a white person is being called a racist yeah unless you're on some really racist shit then you're down with being called right, racist. but like a, fight, a white proud. dude like me yeah the last thing i ever want to be called is a racist right that is some fucking but you know shit. even even to this day you know i mean obviously people i don't know when things are different they I don't know, like, I remember, like, my, like, my parents sometimes, like, people would be really surprised to hear that my mom, like, or that my dad had married someone from Haiti, mm-hmm. you know, or that, you know, like, they think that he, he like, went over there and found a wife, because my mom's super beautiful and mm-hmm. stuff, like, they don't, yeah, the, people make really weird assumptions, mm-hmm. yeah. Mom, uh, what did she speak French as well? Yeah, so Haitians speak Haitian Creole and French. Tight. So she speaks like six languages. She's a whiz. That's dope. Do you speak any other languages then? I speak Portuguese pretty well. I've spent a total of maybe six months in Brazil, mm. and I grew up, you know, studying Spanish and stuff. But mm-hmm. my and I learned some Creole when I was in Haiti, but uh, it's pretty rough. Right. Yeah. What does mom do? She's a Spanish teacher. Oh. In San Jose. Oh, sick. Yeah. Oh, so your folks split up? No, 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 no. They moved. Oh, they moved to San Jose. Yeah. When was that? Six years ago. Yeah, why did they move? Uh, my dad just got antsy and, like, one night just, like, started applying for jobs. Really? And then, you know, got a job, and then they kind of just moved. Next thing I knew, I was the only one left. And so you were, like, 18? Uh, Man, honestly, that was my senior year of high school. I was, like, halfway done with with, with my senior year. Wow. And they moved, and I had the house to myself for, like, six months. Wow. It was too crazy. I believe it. So <laughs> what kind of shit went down when you were 17 and a senior in high school and you had a house to yourself? <laughs> a lot of house parties, man. Like, it was funny because they moved all the furniture out mm-hmm. um, except for, like, my essentials. Mm-hmm. So, like, it was kind of like I was squatting, you know? Like, there was nothing in this house except for, like, me and my friends. And know? were they, like, just waiting to sell it till you got out of high school or were they, like, you could have this? No, yeah, they were, they were, they rented out. So, they, yeah, they were... They're also really kind of slow at moving, so 
Yeah, and slow it, like getting it like out on the renter's market. So it's just like I was just there for a while. Yeah. E- even when I started school and had moved out, I'd like go back there on weekends and throw parties. Wow. <laughs> um, would you throw shows there or what? I should have. Yeah. Man, seriously, like in the basement that I that I that I lived in would would have been perfect for some basement shows. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Um I never thought about that. Where'd you where did you go to school at when you graduated high school? Uh, I went to the University of Washington. Same school my parents went to. Cool. Yeah, yeah generational. And what uh what did you study there? I studied American ethnic studies and comparative history of ideas, which is like uh history and philosophy combined. It's super open ended, like I just got to kind of study and talk about whatever I wanted. Yeah, so you were really already about you were like you you're like, "Oh, I'm definitely going to be a musician because I can't do shit else with this degree." Man, <laughs> no, I, just no, I mean, honestly, <laughs> I've used I've used the the cup that they gave me at graduation more than I've used my 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 <laughs> diploma. That's funny. So you said you we were talking a second earlier and you said you started rapping when you were 11. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe 10 or 9. I mean, I I got in the studio when I was about 11 and a half. And really, I, you yeah. were like young Bow Wow. Yeah. How did that happen? Yeah, I used to. I used to hate him. I thought he was my competition. Really? Yeah. Uh, what kind of were you like a fucking young eleven year old jiggy rapper or what? <laughs> kind of. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like the first beat that I wrote a rap to was the. You know how you could buy the the singles, like the single CD. Yeah. You yeah. Have you know the radio? Oh yeah, of course, and, instrumental. You know, yeah, like, I I wrote to the instrumental of Ghetto Superstar. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, that was that was pretty jiggy. Nice. I don't remember what I was rapping about. Don't I mean, lie, you know. <laughs> no, I really don't. Like, yeah, at that part of my life, my favorite rapper was DMX and you know, behind that was probably Juvenile. Like I was really into like the whole like you know, like Yeah, that was cash what, money. That was the shit back then. Yeah, you know, like big timers. Like yeah. I was really, you know, I was watching the box and, and just soaking it all in. Hell yeah. I love when people bring up the box. That's like my favorite TV channel. Yeah, dude. The younger generation, man, they don't re- they don't nothing, know about the box. Nothing but music videos, man. Yeah, it was amazing. Except for late night, then they had the, the, the you know, the, the low quality in, porn. In, oh yeah, and infomercials and shit, I yeah. think, right? Yeah. Low quality porn. So how did you end up in a studio at age 11? How does that happen? Um, when I started rapping, I was, I was in a group with my cousin mm-hmm. and... Uh, his older sister was dating some dude that was buying drugs from my future mentor's brother. Okay. So her her boyfriend was probably smoking weed uh, with my my engineer Isaac's brother and was like, "Man, yo, my my girl's little brother and his cousin have this little rap group. You you should tell your brother to let him in the studio." What were you guys called? Oh man. Okay, we were called GIT, which is Good Intention Thugs. <laughs> Uh, Fuck yeah, dude. 11 years old. The good intention thugs. Yeah, I love dude. it. I mean, you guys were like, were you hell bent on being like a ABC crisscross? Like, like you were trying to be like a child star. Mm, not, not necessarily, man. I, like, to be honest, like when I started rapping, when I really started taking it seriously and I knew that I wanted to like be like, I wanted to be a part of the culture and I wanted to, to, to be an artist and to create. Um, I took it very seriously from the beginning on like a, on like a, like, on, on on like as far as respect for the culture goes, I wasn't necessarily like planning on being famous, even from a very young age. Mm-hmm. Like I really, it's like like I was saying about drawing and painting. It was very, it was like, okay, I'm writing music now because that's what I need. Like that's what I need to do. Like even free, even from that age, I needed to express myself. You know, so it was like a very, I've always had like a, a healthy relationship with the art, and mm-hmm. like I don't have 
some crazy like fantasies about like like I'm not writing music for money mm. or for some sort of fame. Is uh, Saul your real name? Yeah. Okay. And then uh, did you have a rap name when you were 11? Because I bet it was amazing if you did. <laughs> Man, I went to rap names like every week. Yeah. Uh, that's why I ended up just like going back to Saul and just what, being what, like, what are like, what are like the top three? Do you remember some of the funniest <laughs> ones? Okay. Well, the worst one was lyrical. Oh yeah. That's terrible. <laughs> that's fucking horrible. But when you're 10 years yeah, old, you're 10 like, to, that's a word that like, it sounds amazing to you at the time. You're like, oh yeah, dog, lyrical. And then another one was, uh, locust, you know, like locust. Yeah. I'm down. <laughs> swarms and then i think from that point i somehow like became like a, a chicano gangster rap and i was jokus locust jokus locust but i was obviously was not doing chicano gangster rap yeah but the, the name would have possibly insinuated yeah, that that's funny dude yeah so yeah, jokus locust so yeah i went through some i know but th- those are the worst for a long time i was solstice okay so like i, I was dropping like mixtapes and stuff as solstice so like everything honestly when I got in the studio, when I was like 11, um, and I, I, I went through artist development for a long time. I mean, I still consider myself, you know, going through artist development. But I was strictly, you know, honing my craft, like not releasing any music. I was playing shows, but like really just like any any type of show, like just to just to become better at what I was doing. I didn't start like making original music. I didn't rap over like, like an original uh, beat until maybe I was 17 or 18. Mm-hmm. So I, I made it six years or something just doing mixtape situation. And like I would, hit, I would hit the studio and we'd do these writing exercises and all that stuff. So none of those rap names ever like even got brought into the world. Like this is maybe the, the biggest burn that they've gotten. Yeah. You know? well, that's smart that you were like uh, getting your hours in. I, I'm always kind of of the, the mind state where like I think it's very smart for artists to like just – shed for like six years or five years and and get really good at it yeah. before putting music out in the world because i did the wrong thing and i was like you know when i first started rapping and and trying to put out fucking tapes immediately like right yeah. when i started and it's like they're they're they weren't good yeah and people get the wrong impression of you if you put out stuff that's not good at first and when you come out the gate and it's like you're already got your hours in and you're a master of the craft or whatever or on your way to being right. that makes a much better first impression for sure i mean fortunately like where i was both like because of like my age and like the resources that we had even just like in seattle as far as seattle hip-hop goes i didn't have really have much of a choice like even if i was trying to put shit out Mm -hmm. like there wasn't an an audience for it yet Mm -hmm. um so these days it's a lot easier for people to skip that step because they can literally record something and without even mixing and mastering it, put it out on the yeah. internet and release it to the world. Right. You know, so, um, and, and on the flip side though, it is good to have your music out there. It's good to be on stage. Those that's part of artist development. Yeah, absolutely. Is seeing kind of how, your how people up. react. And it takes you know, a long time to become a good performer. Yeah. You know what I mean? It takes hundreds of shows before you're like, I think anybody's good at performing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Definitely. Yeah. So what were you playing, like uh, showcases or talent shows and shit like that? Man, like, yeah, talent shows. There would be, like, these random events, pretty much any opportunity that I had to get on stage. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of, like, competitions and stuff. This guy, Sonny Bonoho up in Seattle, used to throw this kind of, like, uh, MC competition where it was, like, instead of a straight-up 
actually in one night there would be like there'd be a, like a, a traditional MC battle, there'd be like a b boy battle, and then they'd have like a battle of the songs. Mm. Like you would go up and do a song, mm-hmm. you know, and like so like that was the point where it's like I'd literally be playing one song and I'd bring like all my homies. So like fifty people come out just to see me rap. That's one, dope. One song, you know. And Were you running into any like faces that are familiar now back then? Yeah, I like mean, like kids on the scene or whatever. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Uh, I mean, Seattle hip hop, there's a lot of, I mean, there's people that have been around for a long time, people who are, who are killing it when I was that age that are still around, you know? Um, like, well, so the homie Nima, he goes by Mr. 10K now. Uh, it was, when I was coming up, I was recording at a studio called Undercast, and he was there as well. That's a Nima Schemes that you always post about? No, this no? is a different Oh, different Nima. guy. Okay, yeah. my bad. So, no, no doubt. And, yeah, dude, I mean, he was selling out Showbox and doing, you know, he getting, like, regular, like, rotation, like, up in Seattle, mm-hmm. like, at that time, and he's still around. So, like, I've always, I've always benefited from being, like, growing up and always being one of the younger cats and really being someone who is so... Like I'm, I'm really. I watch. I watch everything. I learn from everything. Uh, I learn from other people's mistakes as well as my own. Uh, when someone is doing something right, you know, I I see it obviously. And um, growing up, you know, in Seattle, as Seattle hip hop has been growing, and just as the the music industry has been changing, I feel like I've I've benefited from just uh, soaking it all in. You know, so when when you see people who have their moments in their careers and they pass. You see people who have things happen in their life, whether it's, you know, uh, you know, children being brought into the world or, you know, falling off uh, on a personal or, or professional level or mm-hmm. anything with drugs or with the law. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel like I've a lot of mentors of mine and people in my life have had totally different paths, whether you're going up or down, you know, um, and I feel like that's helped me keep a really steady like straight path in my career yeah one it seems like you were you had your sights focused from a very early age too and you've probably always kind of even though it is something that you love and respect it's also like it seems like you recognize it early on that it can be a a business or that you should treat it like work definitely i mean the 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 work ethic and the the types of the standard that you have to have for your art and for your, your business practice and the way that you treat people is um super important and i think that's i think it's overlooked a lot of times Mm -hmm. yeah you have any rules on the tour like no drinking before shows or anything like that (laughs) for me i don't drink or smoke no before i perform yeah same you know and and i honestly haven't really been i've man smoking minimal on this show it's it's my first headlining tour we're playing about 70 to 75 minutes every night mm-hmm. and like you know my voice you know i call myself the throat you know mm-hmm. like this is my shit like i mm-hmm. i have to take care of myself so yeah i got like this vape pen that i've been using you know mm-hmm. this usb charge you know a little hash oil pen. Very, very trendy <laughs> i mean it's it's 2013 you know? yeah, futuristic smokers. yeah it even has this rubber tip you can use it as a stylus on your ipad and nice. i don't have an ipad but nice um yeah, I, I mean, I'm I'm taking it easy as far as rules goes. I mean, like we have, you know, just the normal stuff, man. Just like be on time, be be responsible for yourself. We have a, yeah. I'm bringing the the supporting acts on the road with me, so everybody's really kind of responsible for themselves. But but we have to work as a team. Right. You know? We have our van rules, of course. They're always broken, but we still no have farting. Them. 
Man, that that honestly, I wrote that down as one of the rules, but it's kind of it's not reasonable, man. Like these nine hour, ten hour rides. Like, Sometimes you just gotta fart, <laughs> you know. Um, uh, it just has to happen. Um, did you have any interesting jobs as a kid? How about that, man? Uh, I've never had a nine to five. I pay taxes. I, ironically, I I pay taxes now as a rapper for the first time in my life. Yeah. Um, I've never had a, a, a traditional job. Really? Um, Not even like summer jobs? or a, No, no. I've, yeah. yeah, I've had jobs. But it's – so I grew up working for a long time. I worked at my family restaurant. Mm-hmm. Like my cousin's actually the same one that I was rapping with. His, his mom had this restaurant out in central Washington. That This I, is uh, on the Haitian side? Yeah. Okay. So um, they would – have this restaurant out in central Washington and we'd go out there on the weekends and for the summer and man this is the sticks like this is like where like there's KKK and like confederate flags and it's like a bunch of black and brown people running this restaurant like it was there's a lot of life experience out there huh. so yeah I started out as like was it like a Creole restaurant what, what was it no it was like American oh, style okay. yeah. Yeah. like started out yeah as a as a dishwasher busboy man mm. I was a waiter from like age like 13 to 16 mm-hmm. and I killed it because nice. he- I looked hella young and I was like getting people's orders rights and like dropping you know some jokes and yeah. you know, just like I was killing it honestly for a long time that was the most money I made in my life nice I was this little kid in middle school I had all the Air Force Ones I was nice. rock- I was buying every single jersey you know I was just getting my hair lined up faster than it could grow <laughs> you know like yeah, every yeah. week you know and yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> just kind of balling out but also at the same time like, I've always save money and uh you know i've been in the studio you know for half my life and um it, it's never been cheap you know like like you said i with everything from you know recording to mixing mastering merchandise everything like i have a very high standard and i've always recorded at a good studio and i've always invested in myself so for years i've, I've literally i literally put in I mean, I know I don't want to count but like tens of thousands of dollars in my career before I saw any type of return. Right. And this is before I was even 18. Yeah. You know, like with that job paying for studio time, you know, $50 an hour, $40 an hour, you know, uh, it's for years. Yeah. Yeah. That's so interesting. Uh, I look at your path as like, I always bring up fucking Gladwell on this podcast and people have started calling me out on it, but like, it's some real outlier shit going on in Seattle right now. Like, because there are a lot of people doing a lot of cool things and the and it's such a small community that they're all connected like having gone on tour with like uh greaves and or like you know josh and ben greaves yeah. and budo whatever yeah they uh like i found it so interesting that like him and uh owar grew up playing the trumpet together or who plays trumpet for macklemore and like you know all those guys and you're involved in that scene. Yeah. And I feel like it's the perfect storm in Seattle right now where it's a great place to have come up because like all of you guys are really looking out for each other and doing cool shit. But also I love the fact that like you really have put in your hours and you, like you said, half the half your life in the studio and like people think that the shit comes from nowhere, but it's obviously some hard work and yeah. it seems like all of you guys are working hard together. So tell me about when you first started meeting the people that you run with now, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Man, so when I really started to like kind of get out there and start playing shows and stuff, I wasn't even close to twenty one. Mm-hmm. And you know, I would, I would, if I was lucky, I'd get booked for some of these shows. And um, you know, my like most of my fans couldn't even come. Um, and I, you know, I'd, you know, have to stand out. Seattle, like Washington State uh, liquor laws are horrible, so it's like standing outside of the venue, coming inside, rocking and leaving. And I was just like that dude. I was like putting in work and. um you know, I was DJing for people. I was hype man. So, like, when I met Greaves, I was actually this guy, Kublai Kai's hype man. Mm-hmm. You know, he would let me do two or three songs every night. 
And like, that was just me. That was my paying dues. That was like, Mm -hmm. that was my chance to get on stage. I had, you know, I didn't have any other gigs, you know, at the time, like Greaves was doing like this, this monthly event and, you know, and he was putting me on and he put me on for like a couple of times, like for a solo set. And then I don't know, like through just the studio or going to shows, you know, I started meeting other people like Grinch. And when I met him, he wasn't even 21. He was probably 17, 18, you know, and I was 14 or 15, you know? Mm -hmm. And, um, I remember, like, Mac, like, the first time I heard about Macklemore was at, at the studio I was working at, um, and uh, this guy, Ricky Farrell, had brought uh, the language in my world. He brought that record over, and uh, honestly, I didn't listen to it for a while. I just, I remember the artwork. It was always just sitting there at the studio, and then one time I sat down and listened to it, and I think it's just an example, like, that record among others one of the biggest things about Seattle hip hop and one of the things that's so important for us in the future is like people making quality albums, you know, like I think in order for Seattle, like we're in this moment where we have a huge, like there, there's an opportunity for Seattle to really make a mark mm-hmm. on the national music scene. And as far as hip hop goes, like really become like a, like a spot. Mm-hmm. And I think what's, what's needed for that is for, it's for me to put out a great album. It's for the physics to put out a great album. It's for Nacho Picasso to put out, you know, a classic album. You know, Sam LaChow, like all these people, like, and and for and then a new generation of people that I'm not even, you know, I don't even know of yet mm-hmm. to to you know keep making great records. So like, Language in My World, you know, Blue Scholars, you know, the Long March EP, like, just like that's how we got out here was like, just making really good art. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, these guys growing up with these guys as my peers and my mentors was really important for me because I got to see what kind of work it takes. Mm -hmm. And also just the fact that Seattle, even going back in like the days, like in the funk days and, you know, obviously like with, even with jazz, like Seattle music, we've, we've always been overlooked, like in a lot of these key genres and moments in history yeah it's just no it's just known as the grunge state right yeah but the quality of music has always been there Mm -hmm. we have great studios Mm -hmm. we have some of the greatest musicians in the world Mm -hmm. you know um not to mention you know i like big butts and i cannot lie right came from seattle for yeah people don't realize that (laughs) so i mean like basically just like you have to compete with the great with the best you know what i'm saying so I think my peers have taught me that. So after language of my world, yeah. uh, yeah. sitting in the studio and you got around to listen to it and that's the one that Budo produced, right? Yeah. Budo produced like 90% of that. Yeah. I when think. did you get around to actually meeting those dudes? So I have a homie scribes who actually lives out here in, in LA now. And we, we ran super tight in high school. Like there was a hip hop club at, at our high school and like, I became the president one year and scribes was vice president. Of and course. so like we were throwing these shows at our school and stuff and um and we we booked like we booked Macklemore as the headliner for the show and I still have the poster somewhere and it's like Mac- this was what in like 05 or something yeah dude if not 04 yeah. like my freshman or sophomore year of high school mm-hmm. and it's like it says Macklemore Solstice and Scribes and it's a 2 dollar concert nice and there was probably 100 people there you know but i mean and and also the moral of that story is is that like 
the way to get people to come to your shows is to book them yourself and get yeah. a good headliner and like you know what I mean like yeah. if you can't fucking book acts anywhere or book a show anywhere else make it happen yourself yeah you know? so we did it at at our at our, our school, school. Yeah. you know in the in, in the in the theater in, or what? yeah in the, in the in the performing arts theater and so was it like it was like seating but people were standing exactly in their seat. Yeah, yeah. seat seats like theater seating yeah. with people standing in, in the aisles and like as close as they could. Yeah. I remember, I think we paid Mac, I think about a hundred, $150, yeah. you know? And then, um, that either that was my first time meeting him or, um, same home. He scribes was, he recorded his whole album at Mac studio. Mac mm. had this like extra room in his house that he was living in that he was using as a studio. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he had his own clients and he was, he, he was, he was the engineer nice. and Budo was in the next room over. They were roommates. Yeah. That's what, uh, Josh was telling me that they used to live together. Yeah. Yeah. So interesting. And were you guys an instant click or what? Um, did that take a while? I mean, there's always been a respect level. I remember the first time that I met him, at least like first time sitting down at, like at that studio, he bought my my mixtape mm. that I that I was pushing, you know. Nice. And uh, I think we either he either bought it, yeah, he bought it, and then because I I and we like, you know, uh, we talked about music, and and the next time I saw him, he he had already bumped it, and you know, and you know he had he had nice things to say. It wasn't that good of music, but you know, yeah. he, <laughs> he had nice things to say, you know. Um, yeah, man, great, great guy. Yeah. Super happy for him. Absolutely. Yeah. It's fucking amazing to watch. Like I, like I was saying before, amazing to watch that, uh, that trajectory. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's the thing is like, I feel like things could be on that way for you too, bro. Yeah. I mean, we'll, you know, yeah, well, I mean, we'll see. I mean, you really never know. Yeah, I mean, you, things- you, you, absolutely. You do never know. And I wish I could have made it to your show last night. Cause I, I feel like I've seen you perform before and like the energy is always good when you play. And the way that I knew, Mac was going to blow up was when I had him on uh, my old podcast and he invited us out to the show that night at the Troubadour. I've been to hundreds of shows at the Troubadour and I had never, ever seen energy like that before. Not from him, but from the audience. Like like his energy is obviously amazing on stage, but the audience was fucking insane, dude. And I was like, whoa, this is like really something. I I didn't think it would be as big as it is now, but I knew that like I already knew at that point watching him perform like, oh, he's going to be able to do this for the rest of his life. Yeah. I mean, if you I mean, actually, like some some wise verse that were told to me was like, if you can do that in one city Mm -hmm. or even if you can do that in your city. Yeah. Like if you can bring out, you know, 500 people or like, let's say if you can bring a thousand people. Yeah. And and put on like a show. Yeah. You can do it anywhere. Absolutely. Like. It, like if it works there it can work anywhere yeah i think if you're a seasoned performer and you get on a stage in front of a crowd full of strangers and you're playing with other people who might not be as seasoned as you they can always tell like they can tell who like there's a magnetism about a seasoned performer and yeah. someone who really like gets what they're doing you right. know what i mean yeah so uh you graduate from college and then uh but like some crazy shit happens where you get this grant and you get to travel for a bunch right right Tell me about it. let's get let's start talking about that. Okay. Yeah, I'm down cuz I've followed the exploits via Instagram and uh man it looked amazing. It looked like an amazing trip and just bringing it up I can see the huge smile on your face yeah. like it was a good time in your life. Best year of my life for yeah. sure. So um, well, tell us how it started. How did it happen? Well, my freshman year of college uh I remember I was taking this geography class and there was a TA who I really clicked with and kind of he became a mentor of mine. He got this fellowship called the the Bonderman Fellowship, mm. and um, uh, really, what it is is it gives you funding to travel around the world for like a set amount of time, like 
uh, I think it was a little bit less money now, but um, or then, but it's like you know they give you a lump sum of money, and you have to travel for a minimum of eight months to a minimum of six countries. Mm-hmm. And this guy, like, he went on this trip, and we were Facebook friends. And I just kind of had to watch him, you know, go off and have this extraordinary life changing experience, and talk to him afterwards. And really, from that point, I was just like, man, uh, I have to do this. I have to do this. Like, this is a, this is a, I'm gonna get this. Really, like, that was my outlook. I was like, man, uh, like I. I'm, I'm going to go for this. So, like, I, I worked really hard in school. I mean, I was working hard anyways, but, like, I, I did honors. Like, yeah, it's that's one of the requirements is you either to, – to get the fellowship, you either have to be an honors student or a graduate student. Mm-hmm. So this fellowship was literally the only reason that I did honors. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't really care otherwise. Mm-hmm. But um, did honors did you already Did you already have the traveling bug uh, before this? Like, Man, did yeah. you guys travel a lot as kids or no? Yeah. I mean, not not to some of the places that I went on this uh, yeah, trip. Yeah, obviously. But yeah. like, you know, obviously, coming from a family that is international, yeah, and like on both sides of family, having family pretty much all around the world. And like my mom's family is spread out, you know, to Europe and South America and the Caribbean and obviously North America. Mm-hmm. And visiting family and just the way I was raised, I've always had a very kind of global outlook on things. But to cosmopolitan. To, <laughs> yeah, but but to really be out there is another thing. That's something I needed to do, and a blessing that I was given. Yeah, yeah. What was it like when you found out that you got the fellowship? Man, that's a good question. So, applying for the fellowship was like it was a really there was a lot of complicated feelings involved because, I mean, I've always known that I wanted to be that that was gonna that I'm a musician that this was my career path. So even going to college, like when I was applying for college, that was like, that was slightly difficult for me because I was thinking, man, like I'm just, I'm just going to be making music. Like why, why should I go to like a a college and get a four year degree? Like that's not necessary necessarily. But, um, it it was ultimately like a great, uh, experience and resource and changed me as a person and obviously gave me this opportunity, this fellowship. Uh, when I applied for the, for the fellowship, it wasn't really quite real yet, but I was already thinking about the, the the weight of possibly putting my career on pause and in my entire life and leaving my family. Uh, and then, and when I got it, it was really heavy. I remember writing in my like I don't even really write like a journal like that, but I remember the night that I got it, I, I wrote. I just like I, I opened my rhyme book and I just started writing like whatever I was feeling, and it was just like looking back. I mean, I haven't. I haven't really read it since I wrote it, but looking back on what I was feeling, um, it's it's tough because we live in this world where we feel so we feel like we can't you, stop. You feel bound to like your quote unquote real life. Yeah, right. You know what I'm saying, yeah. I mean, it's like traveling is almost a form of escapism in a way, right? Or that's how it seems. Yeah, I mean, it's like I, as a musician to leave in that nature where I was in my career a lot of people didn't understand it. It was really interesting. Like a lot of my friends and my peers weren't quite sure. Like they didn't, they're like, really? Like, but you're like, things are popping right now. You're hot. Like, why, why would you leave, man? Like, like, honestly, people treated it like, like I was, I was, I was committing career suicide or that I was retiring or or something. It was really interesting. Yeah. And, um, but for me, you know, and those things that obviously like had an impact on me. I it's like I I heard what people would say, but man, when I got that fellowship, like there was no doubt that I was going to take it. Like once in a lifetime opportunity, you know. And I mean, in the grand scheme, eight months ain't that long, right? No, and I mean, like, that, you know that's I mean? 
That's the other thing that I knew. Yeah. Which is just like I I'm I'm the type of person where it's like I plan to have a life in music. I plan to have a long career that that you know stepping away for that moment. And uh, I'm sure in your head you, you knew that this 8 months could inspire you for 16 years. Right. I mean, you know I've, I mean? I honestly this last year, you know, and I ended up staying longer. I, I traveled for 10 months and yeah. I could have I could have kept going. But um it was just like as an artist I actually, it was perfect timing for me because I, even though I was in a really pivotal, like powerful point in my career where there was a lot of, a lot of opportunities that that I ended up kind of like putting on pause so I could leave. I was I was having a hard time, like I was, I was working really hard and feeling like kind of close to burning out. And I think like this trip gave me a lot of perspective and a lot of balance that I'm gonna keep for the rest of my career and ultimately. You know, that 10 months that I, I left, I think adds 10, 20, 30 years to my career. Yeah. Like in a very special way. And also has completely changed who I am as an artist and what, what kind of impact I want to have. Yeah, absolutely. So like how much money does the fellowship give you to travel? $20,000. So 20 Gs. And yeah. you have to budget it for eight months. Yeah, which is easy. It's hella money. Yeah. How did you choose where did you, where you wanted to go? Pretty much I kind of started with a bucket list. Like my, my, my proposal was based around music and what it means to me and and how um, how we can connect with different people and different communities around the world through music and so i the places i chose were based off of my my, my interest in in the music right in those areas so, so what what music and what genres was it and then what places did you visit and in what order? yeah south, south asian music is super interesting mm-hmm. they have different scale and uh musical structure than than any other place in the world so uh, I went to India for two months. But that wasn't just for music. Like, music wasn't the end-all, be-all of my trip. In fact, I wanted to just be out there. I didn't want to have be out there with some sort of huge agenda. I didn't want to impose myself. Right, You know, right. but uh, India has always just been one of those places that's just so interesting. And uh, to go there, there's, I can say now, there's no place in the world like it. And then uh, I went to East Africa. So, well, hold on. Slow yeah. down. So, like, when you go to India, that's the first place you go to? Yeah, huge culture shock or what? Extreme. Okay, and so how do you dis- how does it get planned out? Like where you're staying? Like how do you start making contacts over there? Did you stay with a family or in hotels or what did you do? Uh, when I first showed up to India, I had found this dude through Couchsurfing. Have you heard of Couchsurfing? Yeah, Couchsurfing dot com. Yeah, sure. so it's like a hospitality club type thing where it's like you find people who are looking to host travelers. And if you're a traveler, you know, you find someone to stay with and right. you have profiles and you talk about who you are as a person. And it's, it's a great way to meet people, yeah. you know, and there's a good system for like seeing if people are trustworthy and stuff. So when I got there, shut up at like two or three in the morning and man, just like leaving the airport, like and trying to get a taxi was like the craziest thing ever. There's like 50 dudes fighting to be my taxi driver. Wow. And then like driving through N- New Delhi at three in the morning was crazy. Like, I think the only place that was as intense as Delhi on my trip was Port-au-Prince, Haiti, Mm -hmm. which, I mean, Haiti's the poorest country in the world. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, there was extreme culture shock. I remember the first couple days that I was there just driving around and you see people, you see, like, one-year-old babies, like, playing in garbage with nobody around, Mm. just, like, sitting there, like, eating garbage. Mm. And there's, like, dogs next to them doing the same thing. Oh. You know, and, like, you see people dying, like, on the street, literally, like, probably, like, in their last hours, you know, and it's, yeah, it's, it's heavy, you know. Uh, India is a really intense place, especially the way that I was traveling, like, 
sometimes you go somewhere and you have to stay in a hotel. You don't know anybody or you, you know, you, I didn't stay in any hostels like really at all, except for like a little bit. Like I had to in certain parts of East Africa, uh, East Africa, if you go somewhere just for the nature, so it, it's kind of a tourist thing right, right. and there's no other place to sleep. Right. But I was really, people were like the number one priority of my trip. Like I went wherever my, my connections took me yeah. and a connection could just be that one dude that I went, like I show up in, in Kampala, Uganda and I have the one connect and then he connects me with other people other people, and they say, hey, yo, oh, you like music? My cousin lives in this village. You should go stay with him and you guys can jam. Mm-hmm. And just to jam, I take five-hour bus ride and mm-hmm. stay in that village for a week, mm. you know? Yeah. So you show up at the guy's doorstep in India yeah. at, at what time? Four in the morning? Yeah, four in the morning. What, what was he like? What happened? He was cool. He actually honestly like had like this family emergency. and He had to fly to South India the next morning. Wow. And so he... Was like okay, I got. I feel so bad, you know. I, I got. A, I got a homie that lives on the other side of town, and and he can host you. Yeah. So the next morning, was did that feel kind of shady or what? <laughs> looking back, yeah, because it's on the surface yeah. it sounds shady. Like, oh yeah, oh sorry, I got a dip, but I got another homie who was no, gonna rob like, you when you get there or something. No, definitely. You know? Like yeah. looking back, it was super shady, especially just the whole ride there. Yeah. Like and trying to find this place, and then like the taxi driver dropped me off like not in the right area and I ended up having to walk for like 25, 30 minutes like asking directions. And you just have a backpack? And that's yeah, like, I just had a backpack yeah. and like I, I eventually found this guy's spot like like we were deep, I was deep into the slums and like walking through these alleyways and like trying to, f- like there's no street signs or anything. Yeah. I don't know how I found a spot. I didn't have a phone at that point yet. Wow. So, um, yeah, but then this guy, uh, Sumil, the one who I stayed with, was super cool. He had this random business. I don't even know what he did. He did something like selling like like SIM cards for cell phones, and yeah. he had like he would buy like certain kind of like canned foods and stock and sell those uh-huh. and shit. Like he had all these boxes of canned food in his apartment. There's like nowhere to sit. Yeah, and he hosted me for about three days, and just like was super dedicated to just like just like what was like, what, like what getting was... to know me. He had never really met an American yeah. before. You know? What was the crib like? Was it like, I mean, is it like an apartment or, or was yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, it was an apartment. Yeah. Um, like, you know, I, you fucking watch movies like Slumdog Millionaire and shit. And, and I have like this crazy like, oh, there's no running water or something like. Yeah, he he had running water, but it's like not drinkable water. Yeah. Like, you have to sterilize everything. Uh-huh. And, um, yeah, man, like the, the, the places I stayed were most of the time extremely humble. Yeah. But then sometimes it would be a random thing. Like I showed up in uh, Bangalore, India. And stayed with someone that I had to connect with, and he had like the coldest apartment, like really? wi- like super fast Wi Fi. Like you know, yeah. I, I went weeks, 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 weeks without internet, with internet, some, without internet sometimes. Uh, so like I would get to that guy's spot, and he'd have like a washing machine. Like I mean, I think I washed my clothes with a washing machine like three times. Yeah. In, in that year, everything else was I was hand washing. Wow. Yeah. So yeah, what did you do in India for two months? Just I, I was just traveling around, man. Yeah, really, just seeing shit. Yeah, like you honestly, take a camera with you. Yeah, I got a lot of pictures. Um, India was the place that I probably did the most sightseeing. Yeah. You know, they have such like a, a, a interesting long history. You know, it's all these different kingdoms. Really, it's all you know when it was colonized, it was brought together. But before that, you know, people you know were it might as well be you know eighteen different countries. Yeah, it's a huge, huge plot of land. Yeah. But yeah. So I would imagine from one end to the other. It's yeah. Be so very yeah, different go, going, going from one city to the next, you know, people speak a different language. Yeah, it was yeah. like, it was like that in East Africa too. Yeah. yeah. Well, so where did you go after India? I went to Ethiopia for a month. Yeah. yeah. What made you choose Ethiopia? 
same thing, man. Really interesting history. Yeah. Um, crazy music um, and beautiful women. Uh, and amazing Surprisingly food. delicious food. Oh, yeah. Because you always hear about, uh, you know, Ethiopians. Uh, the, the country obviously has a shortage in food. People are dying of starvation. But, like, yeah. man, they're fucking – the food that they make is amazing. Yeah, yeah, it's great, man. Like, the injera, it gets old. You eat three times a day. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah and they, you, you eat everything with it. I'm a big fan but, of Durawat. Good. Yeah. I love that shit. Yeah. And then Tibbs is like this, like, like, uh, like steak almost, like kind of like a, like yeah. a chopped up, like, it's just the natural juices, like the animals, like killed, like the food's super fresh, yeah. you know, and like it's like this steak that I love. Tibbs I had like every day. Who was your connect in Ethiopia? I Man, I had a few. Because growing up in Seattle, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of, there's a lot of Hava shop people, um, like from Eritrea. Yeah. So uh, I grew up with a lot of a lot of East African folk. So like kids that went to like grade school, like there's a homegirl I've known since middle school. That when I went when I was in the north and I was in Mekale, I stayed with her cousin and her grandmother. Oh, and, like, dope. Yeah, like yeah. Her she wasn't even there. She just connected me with her yeah, family. You yeah. Know? She got to like you know send her love like through me, and I was able to just you know give them the update on things you right know? and then like how long did you stay there for i stayed in mecca for only about three days not like in ethiopia in uh, uh a month a month yeah yeah but yeah i think about ethiopia every day really i love it was that your favorite place uh uganda was probably my favorite place was that where you went after ethiopia yeah what was up with uganda tell me crackingest place in the world one of my buddies just went to uganda to do like a hip-hop foreign exchange type thing yeah you know they, they have an interesting hip-hop scene out there I actually hadn't been planning on going to to Uganda, um, and then um, I was supposed to go to Kenya, and the border from Ethiopia to Kenya was super sketch. Like, shit was going down. I think I remember reading your Twitter update about that or something. Yeah. yeah. And then, um, so people just kept telling me, they're like, man, Uganda's cracking. You should go to Uganda. People just kept telling me that. And then I met this girl who actually had used to work for this music festival that was out there that like has a lot of hip-hop at the festival, actually. And it's one of the biggest music festivals in Africa, and it's in Kampala, the the capital of Uganda. Yeah. And uh, it was a week later. I looked at the plane ticket. It was cheaper than flying to Kenya because I wasn't, I couldn't cross that border. I mean, I could have, but um, you know that I I put myself out there. But certain situations, you just have to you have to take it easy. Right. You know. Um. But going to Uganda, it wasn't easy. <laughs> Uganda was was crazy. Um. <laughs> Really crazy place. I mean, the first night I got to Uganda, I fell asleep in the club at like 6 a.m. Wow, it's like that? Yeah. No, people party to like 10 a.m. in the morning. They're the, they're behind Germany and the Czech Republic for the highest beer consumption in the world. No shit. And and U- Ugandan beer is great, too. I would not I would have never guessed that. Yeah. That's tight. Uh, so, like, Kampala's like, uh, you know, like a, just a normal fucking city. Mm, no? Has a pretty normal nightlife. I mean... Normal nightlife? I mean, like, like, not normal. I mean, they, yeah. they literally... The places won't close if there's still patrons there. Right. So they will go... It's, places will stay open for 24 hours. Right. But, I mean, Uganda's still one of the, one of the poorest countries in at least East Africa. Uh-huh. Um, and, you know, it has, they have a lot of serious issues with, uh, you know... With with the education, with um, I mean, it used to have the highest AIDS rate in all of Africa. They've done a lot of work to uh-huh. get it down. It was above twenty percent. It was like twenty four percent HIV AIDS rate at one point. Now wow. it's down to six percent. Wow. Um, so uh, there's a lot of a lot of issues there, and a tough history. Yeah. But some of the nicest people in the world, uh, and I, I made family there. I yeah. literally I, I have to go back. You know, 
what other countries did you go to after that? You it was India, Ethiopia, Uganda, then what? After Uganda, I went to Tanzania. Yeah. Via Kenya. Like uh-huh. I took a bus through Kenya uh-huh. um, and spent a little bit of time. Wait, so you you did end up having to cross Kenyan borders to get to Is Tanzania? Different border. Different border, so it wasn't as as intense. What no. was going on there? Like civil war or something? Uh, not civil war, just like a lot of, um, I don't know, just like a lot of thuggery. Yeah. You know, like buses yeah. getting stopped. You yeah. Know, like, like roadblocks and bandits, mm-hmm. kidnappings. Mm-hmm. Um, it's also just like there's this huge stretch of nothing mm-hmm. at one point, like just after the Ethiopian border. Where like buses break down a lot, the roads are bad. Uh, I, I have homies who did cross that border and their bus broke down for like twenty four hours. Mm-hmm. They ended up having a good experience, but it took them like three days to mm-hmm. make a trip that was supposed to take you know twenty four hours. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah, I took a bus from Kampala to uh, Arusha, mm-hmm. Tanzania, and uh, I, w- I went on a safari. Which nice. was dope. Like every now and then, you just gotta do like that's a bucket list thing. Yeah, you know? for sure. So like, yeah, I, I did like I was out on safari for like five days. And, oh wow, yeah, dude! I, I was by the end of it, man. Just nothing. I was I had layers of of dust on me. It was crazy. Wow. Like uh, and but man, I saw you know I saw everything from like rhinos to lions to you know lions hunting to lions fucking. That's you know, tight. Everything you know. Um, Damn, you got to see the lions fuck. That's like a yeah. two minute process, isn't it? No, dude. Apparently, they they they'll fuck like when when they're in heat. Yeah, they they have sex like numerous, numerous. I don't know the number, but like a dozen, maybe more than a dozen times a day. Yeah, uh, as you should. <laughs> yeah, for like three days straight. Wow. To like make sure that that you know. Yeah, make sure that is in there working. Yeah, for sure. You know. Uh, you got a lady? Yeah, right now I do actually. Did you have one while you were traveling? Yeah, I did. Okay, never mind. A different lady then. Oh. Uh, it didn't work out. Okay, so then I can ask, were, were there any, like, uh, did you have any, like, uh, love affairs on the road? Can I ask that without snitching on yourself? Like, was there any connections with uh, with girls in other country where the language of love just protruded? Yeah, I mean, like, it's crazy. When you're traveling, just in general with friends, um, you you make these powerful connections when you're out yeah, there. Yeah, you know, like, things, things are intense when you know that you've only got so much time. Right, so, like, in a matter of weeks, I made some some of the most... Uh, intimate friendships that I've made, you mm-hmm. know, uh, like in my life, and like yeah. some of my best friends are people that I talk to all the time now, even though they're in Brazil or South Africa. Right, know? right. Um, yeah, there were ladies out there. Man, women are uh, one of the most, you know, amazing things in the world. Like, and they're, you know, so beautiful. Like, you yeah, know I'm, I'm saying, I'm, like, su- I'm super into them as well. <laughs> I think we can agree on that. Fact. You know, I'm a, I'm a fan. So, like, I, yeah, I, I hey, think, ladies, we love you. So, you know, I, I think that like while traveling, I think it's kind of it's hard it's hard not to, to, to be out there like that. I feel like as a kid when I would travel, every fucking summer that I went on a vacation I would fall in love with somebody. Yeah. Like it just happens. There's like that fucking bug of like Oh, I'm only here for two weeks, and it's like, oh, we have to spend as much fucking time as we can together, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Uh, so after Tanzania, is that when you flew to Brazil? So after Tanzania, I went to Zanzibar, which is off the coast of Tanzania. Had a wonderful time, you know, tropical, uh, Muslim, like really, really interesting history there. Yeah. Um, and then went to South Africa for about five weeks, which was South Africa. We're in the middle of history there. Like it's a, it's a, it's a really a uh, tough place and they're they're still going through a lot as a country and it was difficult to to show up and be there and uh like I going from Tanzania to Cape Town and seeing the the types of social divide and distrust and yeah. just pain and scars 
you know, like open wounds, like South Years Africa. Years of apartheid. Yeah, and, and it's all it's it's still super. Resonating. It's very. Oh, yeah. it's, we're very much still in it, you know. Yeah. And um, it was difficult. It was really hard. I didn't think I liked South Africa at first, but you no, know, I travel. I did a road trip from Cape Town to Durban and then Johannesburg. And but when I got to Johannesburg, it's like my favorite city in maybe all of Africa. Really, either Johannesburg or or uh, Addis Ababa. Uh-huh. But um, yeah, it's like New York and in Berlin. Like mixed together, but in Africa, the crazy like art scene and really cool country. And ultimately, when I left, I, I extended my trip at the very end because I wasn't ready to leave. Yeah, and it's uh, I'm excited about South Africa. I think that they have a bright future. There's a lot of really forward thinking people that are, that are going to move that country forward. Dope. So from South Africa, I went to Brazil. I landed there on my birthday. Wow. I uh, stayed for two and a half months. Got a lot better at Portuguese. Was there for Carnival. I performed at Carnival probably for. Honestly, like half a million people, wow. if not more. Yeah. Like literally wow, that's like five hundred thousand people. Yeah. <laughs> uh and then how was that? Crazy. They, they have like so like they have carnival all around the world. Um in Brazil they have it all around the country. And in the big cities they have these things called trio electricos, which are like it's like an eighteen wheeler with like stack the back is stacked with speakers and then they have a stage on top of the yeah, yeah, yeah. and people like the biggest artists. Like might as well be Beyonce, the biggest artist in Brazil, or even that guy Psy, the yeah yeah you know the old yeah. bug, whatever Korean, Korean guy yeah he yeah. performed I saw him but like they so you there was one that was called Trio Happy Bahia which is like it's like the the the, the hip hop trio yeah of you know of of Bahia which is the area I was in uh-huh. that I made homies with them through just like just being out there being social I was already homies with them and they invited me back up to that city for Carnival and on on stage and you know I was on this. What song did you play? Well, they they play with a live band. Yeah, and you literally play for like six hours because you're driving down. Whoa! You're driving down the the main strip. Yeah, like it's like as if Sunset had like a carnival. It's just yeah. like the main strip, and like you have these big trucks. It's like a moving concert, and people who are fucking with that truck will follow, follow it, like just it. dance with it and follow yeah. with it. And then there's people on the sides of the street. You know, um, just watching it as it comes by. So you kind of go through the same songs over a six-hour period. Wow. But we were just jamming. I was with the band. I was just spitting verses and that's, shit. That's dope, dude. No one knew what the fuck I was saying. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's fucking tight. Yeah. After Brazil, where? Uh, Colombia. How was that? Amazing. Yeah? I think Colombia or Venezuela. I have family in Venezuela. Colombia or Venezuela probably have the most beautiful women in the world. I fuck with Colombian girls. Yeah. I'm down. Yeah. Yeah. Uh... So I agree with you on that. Venezuela, that's interesting. I've never met a Venezuelan girl, but I'm now I'm, I'm Man, excited think, about the process. I think Venezuela has one Miss Universe more than more than no shit. any country. Huh. And and then so from Colombia I went to Trinidad and Tobago, which yeah. was super dope. Um and then I I went to Jamaica for a week and then I went to Haiti for a month, which is where my mom's from. Yeah. So my first time going. It was fa- super family over there still? Yeah. Yeah, I got a lot of family there. Who did you stay with? I stayed with a cousin when I was in Port-au-Prince, and then I went to the village. Is your grandmother still alive over there? No. No? Um, Sorry to hear that. No. That was a terrible question. (laughs) (laughs) Whenever whenever it's like, yo, is somebody still alive? And they're like, no. I'm like, ah, fuck. Yeah, my bad. (laughs) No, she passed a long time ago. Thank you, though. Um, My mom's eldest sister, who's 77, lives out in the village like the super village, like I had to take an overnight boat ride and then a long jeep ride, and, yeah, and then walk like quite a few kilometers to get to yeah. her village. She lives 
in the seventies, she moved like she's from Port-au-Prince, but she moved to the village and started a school wow. where there's no schools anywhere nearby. And, um, now, you know, 35 years later, she has 12 schools. She has oh, a wow. re, re, reforestation program, the food transformation, like, Damn. you know, she, she's raised the, the literacy rate in that part of the country. Like, ec- exponentially that's amazing so to go there i spent three weeks with her and like being involved with the schools and meeting you know the the faculty and the students and yeah and just you know the villagers like this is a part of the country where i mean you can be in port-au-prince and people have this issue but in this part of the country there's literally no running water and there's no electricity wow so like i was i was without those things for about three weeks right at the end of my trip yeah and then um, then came back to seattle (laughs) <laughs> Which, yes what was it like to come back to seattle man it's it it, it was a t- it was tough man like coming back after such an extreme experience and just falling back into life with the same you know like seattle didn't really change that much yeah it's changed in a cool like a lot of cool well, yeah that's a thing you have f- had fucking expanded in in 10 months as a completely yeah i've changed as a person, person yeah. i've changed as a person so much and you go back and it's still the homies smoking weed and shit yeah i mean know? i mean the cool thing was <laughs> like as far as the homies and music and everything and honestly just people in my life i felt like people are, are pretty motivated and excited about life right yeah. now well yeah and, and in, in that eight eight to ten months that you were gone the landscape of seattle hip-hop changed right Kaboom! You know right, what I mean? yeah. But but I've changed in, in like a totally different way. Absolutely. So to come back and just like I'm like my friends and my peers, people really just welcome me back like yeah. really easily. But it's like well, and it seems like you have a really great local fan base, and like you were saying, if you can take over your city, you can take over the world type of thing. Yeah. And I remember when you were getting back, like I've always followed you on Twitter and Instagram yeah. and shit like that since we met, and uh, the journey was amazing to watch. But I also remember like the warm reception that you got. You had like a welcome home show that seemed like it went amazing, and um, you know people were excited for you to come back. Yeah, yeah, no, it was super dope, man. I'm, I'm, I'm so grateful to now be in this position where. You know, people, if you're doing things right, like music lasts forever. And like people, like, for example, like going back to the fact that I'm on this tour right now, like we played L.A. last night and like I had fans that have been bumping my shit since like we were talking like when I was 18, like like yeah. my er, like the earliest moments of me releasing music. When you were solstice. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and, and when I was on MySpace, you yeah. know, so it's like, man, my fans are extraordinary. Like, yeah. It's super humbling. That's dope, man. Yeah. I feel like I could have talked to you about the the journey that you had for like another fucking two hours, but yeah. unfortunately, we're gonna end up running long. And I know you got to get to San Diego today, yeah. so uh, I want to wrap it up just by kind of like talking about you just put out an EP. Yeah, yeah. Eyes open. Yeah, eyes open EP. How fast did you make that when you got home? So fast. Yeah. Um, did you already have everything written from the journey? I wrote a lot of it abroad. Like I, I gave you the, the the packaging on the inside. We got like like the lyric book and with every song it says what country it was written in and stuff. Um, I wrote about half of it abroad, and then we, when we got back, we we produced a lot of it and wrote you know more. I would say that from from being back to when we sent it to mastering, I think we spent about probably two or three months on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's ten tracks, so it's like it's a big EP, and that was cool. That was the first time that I've had a super tight deadline self-imposed but still um to be able to execute and also to have un, un, undivided attention and time dedicated to that mm-hmm. you know when i was in school like i put out three eps in an album like while 
you know, doing a double major in like honors in college. Like mm-hmm. that was really hard. And it took me three a year, three years to make yours truly, mm-hmm. you know, but, um, to be able to f- every day wake up and just focus on, on this music, I was able to, to really bang things out. And that's a good feeling. Cause as you get more and more busy, uh, time is harder to come by absolutely yeah i think if there's a theme to this podcast uh this conversation with you it it was kind of that um it's great to take advantage of opportunities and you've had some amazing opportunities given to you but also like the work that goes in behind the scenes to achieve those opportunities is like where shit really happens yeah which is what i love i love talking to people who work hard and it seems like you're working hard and uh, I'm really happy for you, man. This shit seems like it's going really well. And uh, I fuck with your music. I think it has potential to get really big because you're you can write good pop songs as well. You know what I'm saying? Like yeah. it's uh, it's true, whatever hip hop, whatever. But it's like you you got you have pop sensibilities uh-huh. as well, which I can respect. So I'm glad to ha- finally have you in. And uh, I feel like we could have gone another hour, but I'm gonna let you get out of here. Where can the people find you online? Yeah. So my website is SaulSays.com. S-O-L-S-A-Y-S.com. Yeah. Uh, social media, you know, Saul Twitter, Zilla. Instagram is at SaulZilla. Um, S-O-L-Z-I-L-L-A. Got it. Facebook? Uh, Facebook is, you can just search Saul, S-O-L. Okay. Yeah. It'll pop right up. Yeah. You uh, can YouTube him. Just look up Saul and his shit will pop up. Got yeah. some really great videos. Yeah, you're doing it, man. You're doing it. You're killing it. I'm trying as hard as I can. Yeah, for sure. And that's all it takes. My name is Lee. You guys might know me as Intuition. You can follow me on Twitter at It's Intuition. Follow my man, Ben Shim, behind the boards, making the shit sound buttery, at I Am Database, base with two S's. You can follow us as a unit uh, at That's Kind of Neat. And of course, we got a new Facebook page, facebook.com slash kind of neat. Please go like that. It's a very uh, risk-free endeavor because who knows, maybe if you like it, no updates will even pop up in your social media. Uh, <laughs> I don't know how the Facebook algorithm works. I know. It's changing. It's it is. Now. It's, it is. Sometimes everybody shows up and sometimes uh, nobody sh- Like my friends will have kids or something. And I'm like, why didn't that show up in my Facebook timeline? <laughs> yeah. uh, you can follow. Oh, no. Yeah. Check out uh, youtube.com slash that's kind of neat. We're going to have a performance by my man Saul. What yeah. song are you going to do? After this conversation, I think I got to keep the theme of everything that's been going on. Yeah. And I'm going to do a song called Old Hymn. Old Hymn is that. what he's going to be performing, and I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. And then uh, you can find everything wrapped up in a pretty package on kindaneat.net. Please remember to subscribe to us on iTunes or on Stitcher. I love you guys for tuning in. Thank you so much, Saul. It was a pleasure. I'm Man. glad to finally sit down with you and have a good conversation. Thank you so much. Yeah, most definitely. So you can catch him on the road. This is going to come out on Wednesday. So where are you going to be by Wednesday? We will be playing Denver on Wednesday, and after that, Salt Lake City, Boise, and then we get up to Vancouver, Bellingham, and then we have a Seattle show. Bang. So catch him. I know that I know that people in fucking Denver and Boise fuck with this, and so if you guys are listening, go see my man Saul. Yeah. Thank you, man. I appreciate it. Thank you. My name is Lee, and this was kind of neat. Appreciate it.